You're listening to Sunnyside Up, a B2B podcast that brings together real-world insights to help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we bring you the best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is transforming the way B2B companies go to market by enabling customers to embrace modern digital sales and marketing with a complete end-to-end suite of products. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Asher Matthew, and I'm super excited today to have Rick Walters with us to talk about data science for executives. Rick, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Well, Rick, before we jump in, can you share with us how you got to where you are, please? Absolutely. So my career in marketing while starting at Apple was not about data. It was about products and people and messaging. And as I evolved my career through the last, uh, especially the last 10 years, it really was what to the, and the bottom line matters to my role in demand marketing and data is where I get that information. And as I evolved my thinking the community of marketers has evolved as demand marketers to be data set driven and to be outcomes driven. We had to go into data. And so I've had the good fortune in startups to have the ability with others on other teams like ISIT and so forth uh, to bring in data science. And that data science has given us the ability to, to scale our processes, what we do, how we apply program dollars, for outcomes. And without that, we'd still be really just guessing at lead gen and we'd really be trying to cohort that analysis. And we can't do that without data science. So my career has evolved through my passion for getting to the right answers and also uh, growing my capabilities and my team's capabilities to do that. And so here we are. It's uh, marketing is driven by data now. Well, this is great. And so I want to remind the audience that this podcast most of the folks that listen to this are about uh, our executives. They're either early in their executive careers or they're about to become executives or they're senior executives. But that is the way, then the reason why we pick these topics is so we can pick a topic and break it down and then share the lessons learned so that these executives can have a deeper dive in them. So with that said, Rick, tell us what is your definition of data science? Well, I have to, to define that. I have to separate the two, right? So data is anything you want it to be, and you can use that in any way you need to. But the science of it is an always testing kind of approach. So you're always using the data and you're analyzing it from multiple viewpoints. I have a lot of constituents. I work with sales very closely. I also report up to the executive team and across the organization from product to uh, solutions to customer success the data slicing and what we can do with that, the science provides the ability to tell stories. And telling those stories is so vital to an executive. They really don't care how I got there. That I can get there and that I can prove it is fantastic. It's like showing your homework in math. But at the end of the day, they want to know that you can get the answer and you can tell them the story that benefits them and making decisions. Perfect. And so Walk us through your data science journey. Like, how did you even come to this? Because this feel like data science, or at least the word data science used for go-to-market teams, right. has explored it over the last 24 months. But it was never like this. No, it wasn't. It was, a well, anybody on this listening can relate. When you live in spreadsheets, you're exhausted. And you're always, they're moving numbers. And moving numbers will, in, in anybody's daily process, 
and how they get to their answers will never satisfy the, the, the folks you're trying to use the data to shape their thinking, to reason with executives. When they look at a spreadsheet, where'd you get the data? XYZ doesn't always equal ABC. When I can build real-time reports and we use Snowflake as a data lake, and then we use Tableau, using those processes and other platforms that surround them, bring in the data from those platforms to tell those stories. We can, um, we're doing these projects right now where we're trying to get to the answer of average deal size to what's the cohort of the data to tell us the, the number of buyers, and we'll get to that separately, that are required in an enterprise deal. What was their journey? What was their consumption of content or uh, website uh, visits, et cetera, et cetera? So the data as a pool can only be as good as what you um, tell that data to tell you in extraction. So it came from never being able to get a waterfall built to say dollars in, dollars out ROI for marketers. In a spreadsheet, I could show a very great applied science of data, but it's all in columns and rows and it's so difficult to get to. So why I wanted to get to a data science and once I, uh, this was a few roles ago, I talked to a data scientist and we discussed what he was doing for a project to build out a platform for the programs that they were running inside of the product team. And I said, well, I need the exact same thing. I need to be able to do the same thing you're doing because you're trying to figure out what customers are doing with the platform. Well, I want to find out what they're doing before they become customers. And so he was thrilled to find out from zero, what we call customer zero is their invisible touch in Google where they just have a GID. Taking that analysis from an anonymous user profile, attaching it to a known user profile becomes a magic, really. There's no other way to look at it because I can't get that by pulling these disparate platform reports and trying to marry it in my own like spreadsheet. I can't, it's too complex to do it in a, a time efficient way as an executive, but even your teams can't be efficient if they're living inside of that type of a, a static mechanism. It's got to be real time and agile. It's got to be reacting to the new data that comes in with just a refresh button versus trying to download, 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 and then you miss something. Because the problem with downloads is you filter and you filter that download and you're doing this manually. And yep. where data scientists can reason in using uh, either ML or AI, they can reason in probabilistic reporting. Now we can build models. Why does this matter to, a, let's just say, a marketer who's listening? Well, it has to mean something to the people that you're selling this to. <laughs> you can't get to the right answers if you're trying to model it based on a one-third accuracy. And that's what typically happens when you do a manual process. When you can build that out, what we call a 360 process, where I can see the inception of a lead or an inception of a touch, as we call it, a multi-touch attribution, this all started with multi-touch attribution, by the way. How do I tell the buyer journey from the moment they just found out about us to the moment they decided to call us to the moment they decided to write a check or get a PO? That story is what matters. And you need data science to do it. You can't do it manually. We've tried. We've used this platform, this CRM, this marketing automation tool, this chat tool, the, and, and all of them have their own variants. And that's that one third I talked about. If you just take one version of it, it's very skewed. And if you use a CRM, most of the time they are focused on lead source. And that is not a full picture. That is not a 10% picture. That is 
you know, attributing your first reaction in high school to something to what you do now, 20 years later, you can't use that as a single source, right? You, you had a journey. So data science matters in all walks of a company's life, whether you're developing platforms, programming software, marketing, or sales. Because even sales needs to know when they get a lead or they get a prospect, what are they going to do with it? And how can they predict its outcomes? Data science helps you with that. Yeah. So uh, let's dive into one thing that you just said, because a lot of people don't understand this concept, right? Because when people say a known person or a known ID, almost always first name, last name, email, phone number, title, something (laughs) like that, right? Walk us through like the unknown ID stuff, right? Because again, this is where where when when marketers say this in these like conference rooms or boardrooms, and the whole team is just looking at them saying... (laughs) What are you talking about? You know, like well, you know, yeah, because yeah. the world is, doesn't, th- doesn't think like that, right? If you're unknown, you're just unknown, right? If you're I think the government actually calls you an alien, technically, you know. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> wow, okay, <laughs> separate topic. But um, yes. <laughs> this this started four years ago. I was in a board meeting with the CEO of the company I was working for and the CMO, okay. and we were actually not working on this. We were working on something different. And the thing that I preach about to both my peers and to those that work for me is you've got to be curious all the time to get better and better and better at not only what you do, but the answers that you can achieve. And so in that meeting, we were talking about free trials and how do we get more free trials? What do people do in the free trials inside of our software? And then I said, well, there's a lot of anonymous data in here because of Google Analytics. And then I stepped back and said, oh my God, that's what we need to find out. The problem is and it's, it's good for us as far as privacy, is when we go website to website and we're cookied, we, we leave a trail of data and it's kept inside of our containers on our cookie and blah, blah, blah. It's a separate topic. But when you go in to report on that and you look in Google Analytics, it means nothing. It's a null. It's, a, it's no variable there. It's a uh, yes. all these people, this group of 5% or 100% or whatever it is, have done this. And you can't yep. figure out if that matters. So I was... So I met with an outside firm and said, I would like to get to a 360 customer journey. And they said, what in the hell does that mean? <laughs> I said, well, what exactly. it means to me is we, what we don't know, marrying it to what we do know to outcomes. Yes. And they were like, okay, let's whiteboard this because this still was like a foreign concept. And these folks are really yep. smart and I really yep. appreciate, that's why I brought them in. And I walked them through the Google ID, and let's just say Bing or whoever you're using as far as a platform, it's anonymously tracking you. How do you marry that data? So we found a platform that was recently acquired by Adobe, just to give you a hint, that does that. What it does is it it takes all of these touch points, attributes them to that anonymous ID, which keeps what stays with you. It's like carrying a an, you know, big empty bag of potential. And then you're walking down the street and you walk into a store and you give them your name and now you are a known person. And that bag gets filled with all the stuff that you did in the past. And that anonymous ID tracking now is consumed by this new platform. And there's others like it that say, Rick Walters visited your website 30 times in the last two months, viewed these pages this many times, bounced these many times. That's all in the Google Analytics. And then when I fill out a form and it marries that to me, now it puts it into the CRM and I can attribute all of those touches now to me. 
So while they're anonymous, I can't do anything with them. But we all eventually, hopefully for the companies that are listening here, convert at least to a potential lead and a potential prospect or buyer. Once you get to that point, now I can start making determinations on how to further your journey to purchase my platform, software, or product. And when I do that, I now can build cohorts of data. I can say the similarity between Rick and between Sonny and between Jason or Marianne is that they brought in other people, and I think we'll get to that next, is a cohort of both my behavior and a group's behavior to make better determinations on the content you produce, the ads that you put out, the marketing channels that you use those on, and then which ones can be used to accelerate buyer behavior. And this is something I learned in in B2C, right? How do you accelerate people to buy your product in the B2C world, in the e-commerce world? You can use the same data and they do it in big, big, gigantic groups. You can see it when you're online and you're being retargeted all the time. That's Mm -hmm. part of... Now, if they're if they're using it correctly, then great. They're also right. able to identify a group of 50,000 people that want to buy this widget on Amazon. And then that's probably yeah. what they do because they have the money to do it. But what about us that are running smaller companies or in B2B? Yep. You can apply it to B2B. And that's something that I think was, to me, the 360 that I was able to get. Yeah. Most people do an analysis of their current customers and use that to, to strike a behavior data science project. And we have done that to say, these people all are buyers and here's why. Great. But what about when we don't know who they are? <laughs> data science can be applied in that way. Did that help? Yes, it does. And the, the piece here is, I guess, if you can break down, right? Because in like most B2B executives understand that you can get a person's first name, last name from a landing page or form fill or something like that, right? They don't necessarily understand how does the unknown, when that person is unknown, how does that get connected to the known? Can you break that down, please? Well, I'm sure it's in that platform's science and the way that they (laughs) configure it. But if I was just to simplify what I see on a daily basis, I go into my CRM, I look at a company that's currently an opportunity, I pull up that name, and then I yep. look at the attribution that's inside of that record. And the attribution's listed with these long 10 to 20 digit codes that are touch points or attribution points. And then I can click on those and it'll tell me website visit. It'll tell me form fill, webinar attendance, event badge scan, or it'll tell me any other interaction. Uh, or, or even if that is an interaction with sales, that sales made a call or they chatted with us on our chat bot. All of that is attributed to me because it's collecting it against that first touch of known entity in the sense of, say, a form film or a badge scans. First time they were able to gather the data and aggregate that with all the data touch points, pull it into the CRM and then list it all out. I can then extract that in Tableau using Snowflake because all that feeds into our Snowflake instance and we can extract that by querying that data and asking it to tell us, list all the people that are in opportunities that touch this web page or that attended this webinar or that visited our booth or XXX, you know, went to our dealership or a car in car sales. So you you said something right there that I think we should double down on, right? The ideal opportunity profile. And you two shared a couple of insights with me on that, but walk us through that journey and give us your guidance. 
Yeah. So really, there's two things. It, there's there's the ideal customer profile. I mentioned that a second ago, where it was looking at op- uh, closed one business, looking at uh, current customers, and making an analysis of similarities. There's a flaw in that. It's it's only as good as the customer data that was brought in, and many times there's missing data. But when you build it from the start, you can then do an ideal opportunity profile. So what opportunities are out there? I mentioned that a moment ago, that we're looking at opportunities and we're doing a cohort analysis. And we're actually just had two meetings, one with serious decisions to walk through how we can build an ideal opportunity profile that would allow us to take opportunities in best case and commit by stage in that regard, and then look at the propensity for them to move forward to a PO and a purchase. And that's where you marry the ideal customer profile with the ideal opportunity profile. And then there's the cohort, and I use that term a lot because it is a grouping. There's the buyer's group, and that's really something in the last, I would say, 48 months, to your point earlier, that's really grown, is using buyer groups in the enterprise. We've all come from the persona world where we talked about the ideal buyer or the ideal person of interest, we could call them, that would be the person like everybody wants the CTO or the CIO or the head of or the C of this. That alone isn't going to do it. My CMO makes decisions many times based on my analysis and my team's backing of that, doing research, attending webinars, reading white papers and case studies to say, yes, this is the platform we're going to use. He doesn't get involved in that or she wouldn't get involved in that if she's the start of it. It's when you get to the right people. Well, you can use the ideal opportunity profile to be better at predictive data yep. science. Then what you say, and we're doing this now, is we say, okay, we've got three people from this enterprise company and they're not the right people. They're, they're downloading, yep. they've become marketing qualified leads, but they're not ready to buy because they don't make the decision. They're not going to champion this to their CFO. So we then start finding the folks that we need to based on that ideal opportunity profile. And we target them, whether that's content syndication, like Tech Target or ISMG, et cetera, or we, we target them in the wild by retargeting and or finding them on LinkedIn, et cetera. Once we do that, we can build the cohort of the people in the ideal opportunity profile, and we should see a magnification of our opportunity creation and pipeline growth through that. And then when you can predict that, now executives care, the board cares, the investors care that you know how you're going to take the dollars that you've been given and invest them in a way to drive opportunities, whatever those are, if they're buying a thousand widgets or if they're buying a million dollars worth of software, you've got to get predictive in there. If you don't, you're modeling behavior that you don't know. And the behavior is so intrinsic into the opportunity profile. What what just, just they're using firmographics and personas is a small data point. It's too small because you need behavior. It's what goes into lead scoring. It goes into what's a sophisticated lead nurture. But all these, so we can surround an ideal customer profile and an ideal opportunity profile with uh, with the right information to make their decision. Fantastic. So are there any like, and, I, and I'm, I'm sure you have tons of these, right? And again, <laughs> I'm just trying to make sure that the the other execs who are not marketing can also understand yeah. these concepts a little simply. And so I'm going to break it down a little bit, right? Like the data science team that is available, right? There are a couple of different types of people on that team. There are business analysts, basically, who are just people that can take the data 
and tell you the what is happening, right? right? And then there are data scientists on the team that can actually dive deeper into it and understand the root cause, do some root cause analysis, help you understand the why that thing is happening. And these are important pieces to understand for executives because a lot of times you have to make a gut decision yeah. that can be at best 50% data driven right and it's it's because because the executives are paid to make decisions right that's like the role right and so and you're drawing from your exposure you're drawing from experience you're drawing from education and then all these things come together and the data scientists are there now the other piece is interesting because a lot of folks at least in the day and age that we are in that we have gotten extremely infatuated with data science teams, right? Mm -hmm. We try to actually push the boundaries, right? And we try to basically say, okay, tell me when this person is going to go buy something like this, right? And there is a way, right? I mean, there's lots of modeling that can be done to kind of predict behavior. But again, it's at best maybe like 50 or 60% accurate. And that's okay. And the reason why I bring up those percentages is because everything that the data science science team does is very relative. They do not work in absolutes. And when you go and push them to work in absolutes, they get ticked off. And so (laughs) as executives, as we're learning, right? I mean, uh, B2B executives have to learn about how a go-to-market team operates. How do solution consultants operate? How do solutions architects operate? How do hmm. engineers and deep like technical engineers and, and, and work, right? How do support folks work? The same way you have to treat data scientists as a new capability that you are going to convert into competency of your organization, whether they sit on the go-to-market side or the product side is immaterial, they need to help both teams because right. there's a flywheel. The product gets built. And the go-to-market team sells it, but this this point, and and I had to learn it the hard way because this is when I joined. <laughs> That's how we learn the most is the hard way. Hundred percent, you know. But I would come in and say, well, what? Well, I would just think in absolutes, and you just cannot. And it's a fundamentally different way of thinking about these things. But please, please, please make sure that when you speak with our data science team, you're actually working with them to identify the problem first. And then working on the solution versus going to them with the solution of what you want the problem to solve for. It doesn't work like that. They get ticked off and then they'll leave. And then that asset, that data science asset is actually extremely critical to your future performance. Because as Rick said, they can help you guide you to the path of predictable revenue, which is what allows you to keep your job. <laughs> that's a that's a great point. There's an old uh, product management uh, saying it's, attributed to Bill Campbell, what he's known as the billion dollar coach. Yes. Um, do not tell engineers what features you want. Tell them the problem that the customer has. Yes. You got to start there, not start with features and benefits, right? You got to start with, that'll also tell you the story of prediction. And when you talked about a model and you talked about the uh, the accuracy, it's because we're people. We're, we're talking about people here. Yes. And our behavior, Yes, whether we want to buy a red hat or a blue shirt or a brown car, or we want to buy software X or Y or Z, the behavior is so different between people. And it's not, that's why the whole persona as a sole contributor is not valid because it depends on the culture. It depends on the company, depends on the location, the country. We find that in marketing to EMEA versus uh, Asia PAC or, or Canada or Mexico. It's very, very different. Behaviors change and uh, you have to be able to build a model and get to the problem, 
how do we solve for more opportunity creation or selling more of X? Or even if it's how many more podcasts can we do and how many listeners can we get? You know, I actually, I have a little bit of beef with this word prediction, right? Because it assumes that there's some magical thing that's happening, right? And I actually like the word projection because Mm. when you take a bunch of data and you do some analysis on it, you're really just projecting what's going to happen. And, and predicting yeah. just takes it a little bit further than that. And and even data scientists, you know, they don't like the word prediction because they're like, well, there's nothing predictive. We're just doing some analysis and we're using advanced statistics and we're using different data points to show where this is headed. But we're not telling you that it's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. So that's my take on it. I don't know how you feel about it, Rick. I agree. I know predictive analytics is used a lot and I think it's a, it's been coined for different reasons. And if it worked, then we'd all be billionaires if we were really predicting accurately. Projecting, though, I think is definitely more accurate because that's what accountants do. You would never say to an accountant, hey, predict what next year's revenue is going to look like based on the data sets. (laughs) If that was the case, then the stock market would be a different game. They're projecting and they always do. What are your projections for next year? Well, based on the data, we project X over X growth. You don't predict it, you project it. So I agree. I agree. This this is where like things get like again, especially for non marketing executives, right? Yeah. That are are have not spent much time, right? And that's like the other problem, right? Like people should spend time with their colleagues to understand like how the different engines work and make this bigger engine. But the the especially when you don't have time to like sit with other teams and stuff like that, and you heard hear the word predict, and you know most people in the room, if they're senior executives are following Wall Street, and then they go, like, they talk about the prediction, and then they talk about the earnings whisper, and then, mm-hmm. like, they're just in that land, right? That's right. And then, and then yeah. it's very hard to bring them to this land, and you're like, no, wait, 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 I'm trying to, like, project, because we have to do capacity planning for this, right? Because if this thing hits, and we don't have enough people, we're just wasting all those leads, and, like, what do, what do we then get, right? So so these are, like, the, the, the topics and the issues that come up when we share this information. And that's why on this podcast, we actually pick one topic and just go deeper into it and then break it down a little bit so that people can understand it, realize it and build bonds around it and then push the initiatives forward as one team. Yeah, I I agree. And I'm hoping that what we achieve here today is that people start thinking dimensionally versus just one way. And they start thinking about all the scenarios that apply to their needs. I can't answer for every area of organizations, but I can definitely tell you that it can be applied to every area of of an organization to be successful. Whatever whatever you're trying to do, save costs, uh, build more of this. I mean, who is predicting the shortage in chips, right? Yes. That's a bit, I mean, that's a pain point for our company, every company. And that's a, a lot, there's logistics behind that that we can't all get involved in. There was projecting this and uh, we're doing that now. We're projecting what our availability is going to be over the next two years. So yeah, that's yeah. that's all what you can do with data. And you can do the same thing with marketing. But we're also in marketing. I'm a numbers driven person, but I'm also very creative. So having both of those mindsets really is something that I think is going to be the the demand marketer side of the marketing piece much more in demand, as well as if you've got a, a propensity to be in data you should get deeper into it, understand Python, understand SQL, understand what a data lake is, understand the whys so that you don't have to do it. You just have to understand how you're going to get it. You know, you can't know what store to go to if you don't use a map sometimes. So you got to go. But this to me is how I map my data as I think about the problems. I think about what I need to solve and what the executives need to know. They want to know how I'm going to get to the revenue numbers. That's what they care about from my point of view. 
So um, yes. if you're in a different, and so you just have to look at what the problem is above you and around you. And if you're a CEO, you're probably thinking your investors, you're thinking also about your people. If you have a company of a thousand or 10,000 people, there's all kinds of HR and recruiting pieces in that data. Yep. All of it's useful. It's all useful. All right, let's move to the next part of the podcast. Is okay. there a book, blog, or newsletter, with website, or video that you would recommend our listeners uh, take away from this podcast? You know, there's a few people I follow. I'm pretty active on Twitter, as you would imagine, okay. working at Twitter. But um, Ronald Van Loon's one of those guys. That's uh, he's based out of the Netherlands, and he has seems like he has his finger on the pulse of everything from AI to ML to VR to AR to all the cool acronyms, but he definitely has a side to him. He does interviews, a podcast. I mean, he's one of those guys that uh, he probably doesn't know how much I, other than we retweet and share each other's stuff. He's one of those guys that's really super active as well. And there's some really cool podcasts out there and with some real fun names, (laughs) if you're you're probably aware in your role, but one's called the Data Data Skeptic by Kyle Polich, a computer scientist and AI expert. Data Stories is another one. And one of my favorites is called Data Science Imposters. I think that really (laughs) is kind of uncovering what you mentioned earlier. It's easy to talk about. It's easy to use the terminologies. It's easy to say we're going to do predictive analytics. But something like a data science imposter is probably people that are hiding behind the acronyms. And what are they really doing? Uh, They cover everything. So from how they use it in criminology to how they use it in marketing. So it's very... And there's another funny one called Naked Data Science. You've got some really cool... Well, we're, we're, we're used to interesting names. Ours is Sunny Side Up. <laughs> I know, I know. And nobody, when I told people that I was going to be on this podcast, they're like, what does that mean? And I said, well, <laughs> probably looking at the bright side. And yes, 100%. How I like my eggs, you know? That's 100%, 100%. <laughs> I actually used to end with it. I used to end with the, hey, you know, for everybody that's out there, if you don't know how you like your eggs, there's one way to do that. And it's Sunny Side Up. So... And that, that kind of caught on for a little bit. And but there's, then... uh, there is a book uh, by Liz Weissman called Multipliers. And yes. it's, it, it's, it's about how to, and I talk to my team about this constantly. And this is something that I also tell myself. How do you, stop doing addition, do multiplication. How do you get more with the same or less? And how do you yes. always scale that? So that Multipliers book is kind of a, it's a reference guide. It sits next, next to my desk even along the lines of uh, never never split the difference by yep. Mr. Voss, the ex-FBI guy. And people go, wait a minute, that's about negotiations, right? Yeah, but it, it, he talks, it makes you think about how to reason things out. That's what I yes. really like about Chris Voss's book. How do you reason things out yes. in negotiation so yes. you don't split the difference, you don't compromise, you get what you want? Well, sometimes with data, there's a lot of negotiation in the data and with the people getting the data. So those are two kind of diverse books, but they're, and they're not, I don't read data science books. I live in the world of it. And I I talk to data scientists all day. And I mentioned it earlier, Bill Campbell's uh, Billion Dollar Coach. If you ever read that, it's a Silicon Valley Bible of who's who and how he handled getting to the answers he needed simply. So what what was your favorite part of part of the Billion Dollar Coach? The stories around the founding of Google and how he managed those people. Uh, anybody who's been around startups and raise your hand if we're in a big room, you'd know who I'm talking about. The t-shirt hoodie wearing folks all the way to the executive suites that have blue suits. Yep. They're different people and how to manage those people, how to talk to them, Yes. what matters to them, I think matters in data science. I'm, I'm not just yes. trying to tie the two together accidentally because you said it earlier, you know, you got to know what the problem is. And he was yes. really good at problem solving 
from I mean he he coached Steve Jobs. He worked with all the guys at Google, even yes. keeping people from leaving. And he used a lot of good reasoning. Well, that same reasoning goes into why you use data science. If you're just trying to get yes. A plus B times X over C, that all, okay, great, cool. You got the answer. Yes. What's the story? Yes. Um, that's my creative side. Anybody that knows me knows that I'm going to tell a story with the data. If you can't tell a story, you probably failed with the data because yes. it all matters, right? So, um, Well, you went on a wild goose hunt then. That's right. That's right. And so, you know, the best way to connect data points is understanding the struggle people are having and solve that for them. And you'll have friends for life <laughs> because yes, I've definitely established relationships based on my ability to tell data stories, get to the right answers, but never be satisfied. Like I'm never satisfied that today's answers are the right answers tomorrow. And so that passion for getting to the right answers never stops. It's open for debate. And debating is a healthy version of what data science should be is that's We've got this data set. We can take it to tell a story. Wrong story. Try again. It's okay. Yep. It works. It works out in the end if you're all curious, passionate, and hungry. You just got to keep doing it. But uh, it's it's a long haul. It's a marathon, not a sprint. All right. Next question. Do you have three or so folks in B two B tech who are either in go to market or in data science that we can bring onto the show to learn from them? Well, I mentioned Ronald. He's one of the the ones yep. that I follow. There's. Um, there's a few people, I don't know if you know, Kira Radinsky, she's with Diagnostic Robotics, and uh, James Miles White. Uh, he's, um, he's with the New York City branch of Facebook's core data science team. Okay. He worked at MIT. He might know a little bit about it. I think he might yes. be a guy to have uh, on there. And um, As a follow-up to this one, yes. Exactly. And uh, there's a great consultant executive out there, strategy gal on Twitter, Lillian Pearson who does online courses, VIP days, data strategy and plan development. I mean, these kind of folks probably have the big picture that some of the executives on your podcast that attend it would, would care about. Yep. Fantastic. Maybe you already knew about these folks, but these are the ones that I actually did, did not. But the, the <laughs> it's it's surprising because, you know, everybody kind of thinks that, hey, Asher, you've done like 200 of these podcasts. So right? you must you know, know everybody in people, you know, <laughs> and actually that's not true because my intent over on this is as we learn about people is to actually serve the folks and be the connector. And so I spend more of my time trying to figure out how do I connect the 200 or so people that have been on the podcast in some form of way. And there's been a lot of amazing stories. I mean, I mean, one day when I'm the guest on my own podcast, I'll actually talk about the stories like from, from this podcast. But if this is, I say this all the time, this is one of the most, if not the most personally satisfying things that I've, I have professionally done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can so, imagine you get as we, to meet different people and talk to different people yes. and Yes, you get to yes. learn as well as educate your listeners. I think that's a, that's a great place yes. to be. And, you know, nobody has ever said no to me. Like people always think, right? Like there's this prospective podcasters that I speak with and they're, they're always like, well, what happens if you say no? And I'm like, well, if they say no, then you move on to the next question because and respect their privacy and then take it offline. <laughs> like it's, it's pretty straightforward. You know? That's right. Well, but you gotta have fun, you know. I mean, I mean, these things have to be fun, and they have to be engaging, and they have to. They, people have to take some, have some key takeaways that they can actually apply. And That's my cool. whole goal is to like take the topics, break them down, so that when executives talk about this in, in meetings, they actually know a little bit more than just the word data science. And they okay. share a, even an anecdotal story that hey, I listened to this podcast. Rick was on there. He talked about this. He talked about the, these other things, and 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 that actually brings people along, right? Because you have to bring people along, especially when you're doing data initiatives. Like like everybody will first say, 
well, the data is always bad. And that's where you're starting with. I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, anybody would say this. I've not been in a company where data wasn't bad. I mean, yes. that's, why, that's why I'm there. I'm supposed to help yes. remedy that and get it to the best level. There yes. is no perfect data. That's that, A lot of times yes. companies wait for that to kind of end this on a, a point of, hey, stay positive. Just take the data you got and just keep perfecting yes. it. That's all you can do. Uh, strive for perfection. Go for excellence. That's all we yes. can do. Yes. All right. So if folks wanted to connect with you after this podcast, Rick, like what would be the best way for them to connect with you? Uh, two places on LinkedIn, and it's R-I-K Walters, and it's at R-I-K Walters on Twitter. And those are the two places I spend the most time off uh, work time. That'd Very be great cool. To connect with anybody that uh, listen to this and get your feedback. And if you learned something great, if you have some something you could tell me about, I'd love to hear it. Yes. All right. Well, Rick, thank you so much for coming on to the show and spending some time with us. We thoroughly enjoyed this. And uh, best of luck on your journey. Thank you so much. Same to you. And I appreciate being on here. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV. 